electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Money starts right now, live from the Nasdaq market site overlooking New York City's Times Square. I'm Melissa Lear. Traders on the desk are Tim Seymour, Brian Kelly, Steve Grasso, and Guy Adami. Tonight on Fast, Wall Street is running toward Bitcoin, and the floodgates of institutional investors could be about to open. The crypto baller himself, Brian Kelly, will break that down. Plus, Disney out with earnings moments ago. The stock is volatile after hours as a conference call with CEO Bob Iger is underway. This as the Mouse House squares off against Comcast, our parent company, in the battle for Fox. Jim Stewart, the man who wrote the book on Disney, literally, will be here to tell us what it all means. And we start right there with Disney. Our own Julia Borson spoke with CEO Bob Iger moments ago at Disney's headquarters. Julia. Well, Melissa, it was much better than expected, both top and bottom line results at Disney's two biggest divisions. That's the theme parks as well as the movie studio that drove the company's upside surprise in terms of earnings and revenue in this quarter. But perhaps most surprising, considering all the focus on the media networks division, um, which is Disney's biggest division that has been suffering um, that has been suffering from both cord cutting and advertising declines was that that division reported better than expected both earnings and revenue as cord cutting numbers start to slow. Take a listen. They have started to moderate a bit. The declines this quarter were less than the declines we've seen in the prior two quarters. What you're seeing is continued growth in the new we call them DMVPDs or the the digital uh, you know, distributors, and that's great for a number of reasons because they carry all of our channels and we think it's a very consumer-friendly proposition. So the growth of those is offsetting, uh, to some extent, the uh, losses on the more traditional platforms. I pressed Bob Iger on the reports that CNBC's parent Comcast is considering a $60 billion all-cash bid for Fox, which would top Disney's all-stock offer of $52.5 billion. Now, Iger said in response to a number of questions that he's confident that its pending deal for Fox will go through and will gain regulatory approval. We think it's actually quite different. Um, I mentioned earlier feeling confident that our deal is going to go through. That's not only a confidence in the ability for us to convince the Fox shareholders that this is good for them, but we're also confident in our ability to gain the regulatory approval that we'll need in all of these jurisdictions. Now, when he said it was quite different, he meant quite different than the AT&T acquisition of Time Warner, which, of course, was challenged by the Department of Justice with that lawsuit pending right now. Now, Iger uh, wouldn't pl comment on plans about whether he he's intending to top an offer from Comcast, should Comcast go through that with that $60 billion offer. He also wouldn't say, say what his plans are for Sky, um, but he did say that he's talking to Rupert Murdoch though he wouldn't say what they're talking about. Melissa, back over to you. And they have, not to split hairs here, but they have been talking after, Comca after the story that Comcast is readying this bid. I'm sorry. So I, I asked him if he's consulted um, with Murdoch about what Murdoch is planning to do, say, with Sky, because, mm -hmm. of course, Comcast has gone in and offered to buy the remainder of Sky that Fox does not already own. 
Should Fox go in and offer more for Sky? That's going to ultimately be something that really impacts Disney should this deal, this acquisition by Disney, uh, go through. So he wouldn't say what he and Murdoch are, have been talking about, but it sounds like they talk frequently. All right, Julia, thank you. Julia Borson joining us from Disney headquarters. So let's talk about the quality of this earnings report. If there is no deal, do you still continue to own Disney based on this quarter and based on what they're saying about cord-cutting losses? Yeah, if you're comfortable with valuation, I think, I think you are, because you don't want Disney to have to pay up too much for this deal. I think the deal is for Fox is for two reasons. They want Fox Sports to package up with ESPN, and I think they want the Hulu. I think they want to control now more than 50% of Hulu because I think they want to compete with Netflix. That's my view. I might be wrong. But to your point, it really comes down to what's the right valuation. Does Disney deserve to trade at almost a 45% premium to a CBS? Yes, they deserve to trade at a premium given everything else they do, but not that kind of premium. That's the problem I have with Disney. It trades too rich. Yeah, what do you say? Uh, King of content, we've all talked about that, but when you're making your own content, like the way Netflix is making their own content, up 70% year to date, they're just doing their originals versus Disney trying to figure out how to get back into Netflix's game. And I agree with Guy, they want Hulu. They want the ability to compete with Netflix. But Netflix is the 800-pound gorilla in the room. I don't think you still own Disney. Even with the parks, I don't think there's the growth that you're looking for within Disney, even though they still have a boatload of Well, that would content. basically be saying that you would rather own Netflix than any other media property right now in almost any environment, even in the best environment for the media companies, because Netflix has higher growth. Yes. I would say that right. everyone looks at Netflix and you try to package it up as a different thing. It's a beast. It's a tech company. Mm -hmm. It's a growth tech company. And that's the problem that everyone tries to slap a valuation that makes sense on it. That's why they run into a, a, a steam shovel. Right. Well, that's what's being rewarded in the market is that growth, right? I mean, we know that. And it's, it's, they kind of get a pass like Amazon. And if you look at Disney, you look inside these, you know, Hulu programming costs increasing over the quarter. Disney probably is not going to get the same pass that Netflix does on this. So I actually think you know, this wasn't a great, great quarter. I came into this thinking I wanted to be bullish. You got a great risk reward here. But you had an early Easter, which boosted their, their uh, theme park. You look at uh, their theme park reservations. They're down 4% uh, going forward. So it's just it's. Um, it's meh, as you would say. I, but they, they're all spending money on content, guys. I don't know why we're, we're acting like Netflix isn't burning cash and not making a lot of money, because that's what's going on. So let's be clear here. And I agree also with you that the Hulu acquisition is very important. I think that's what Bob Iger means when he says our deal is different. Our deal is different because we're actually putting some pieces together that make a lot of sense. So I think the deal makes a lot of sense. I think these numbers reinforce the problems of Disney. But to say that Disney needs other content when I think it's the best brand in the world, I, I think is not right. Guys get Getting right to the point, Disney traded a premium for a long time. What's that premium? I still think they did. Yeah, but the, the, the only difference, though, about the content is that Netflix is no longer paying for other people's content. They're making their own, which is, makes me think it could be something that is is able to be replicated going forward and not reliant on the Disney's because that was the bear case that those deals are going to unwind. They're going to have to get their own content. Are they going to be able to curate their own content both domestically and internationally? And I think they put those fears to rest for the time being. So in terms of Disney, it wants the Fox assets in terms of content. It wants Sky for dis distribution, particularly yep. international. Well, well, That's exactly yep. what Comcast wants Same as thing. well, the international footprint with which to distribute its content. So therefore, do you want to own Disney here 
if it means that Disney wants to go after this deal so much, it is going to top Comcast's offer, which is about $10 billion yeah, which, higher. Which was my original point. I mean, how, how desperate are they? The more desperate they appear to be, the more you say to yourself, wait a second, maybe Disney really is behind the eight ball, more than the market's even anticipating, which is why what Tim was just saying, I don't think they just... Again, they deserve a premium multiple. I don't think they deserve a 45% premium to a group like CBS. For example, the multiple for CBS has to go higher, but the multiple for Disney has to go lower. Didn't we get really excited, though, when Disney went after this deal? Because we said, wow, Bob Iger is being really aggressive. And, uh, you know, this is not their only option out there. And I also think that this is it's a tricky transaction. I mean, especially when right. you know, oh, they're going to get to a place where, by the way, if they're competing with Comcast, Comcast is a distributor of a lot of their content. I mean, they've got a, a complicated relationship with Comcast. And I realize it's been a little thorny in the past, but I don't think they want to go to war. Why didn't we see all the media stocks, other than these three players, obviously, trade higher then? Why don't we see a Lionsgate, for instance, trade low? I mean, isn't there something to be said for that, that idea that the Murdochs first put forth when they unraveled their company, their dynasty, uh, that you need scale to compete in this business? And so, therefore, all the ones that are left behind... They're left behind. Yeah, or, or that, that, that was the top for, for content, or somewhere maybe the, the top was 18 months ago. But I, but I agree. Um, although, um, I, think it's, I think it's company specific. In other words, what we're seeing with CBS and Viacom is really based upon CBS sold off because people thought that they were actually overpaying with a depressed stock and then going to buy a deal that they should have bought a year ago. Um, Lionsgate, I think it's really about what's going on with their TV and their stars acquisition. Yeah. You look at Viacom, for example. I mean, it's just, I mean it's obviously, it's bounced significantly off that $23 lower or wherever. But you're talking about a stock that's trading, I think, at a six-forward multiple. Again, Viacom should be trading at a discount, given all their problems. But at a certain point, you have to ask yourself, how much of a discount do these things need to trade at? And at what point is M&A going to sort of come in and be the white knight? I think out of all of them, CBS, to me, is the most interesting followed by Viacom. I'll give you second. one positive for Disney. You look at the street and where they are on this, 12 buys, 10 holds. You know those holds aren't going to sells, so they still have some catalyst there. If they can find something positive in this, and maybe it's this deal, maybe they look through this earnings, maybe says something said on their earnings call, they can find something positive, there's a catalyst for upgrades. Here's a thought. What if these companies, instead of spending tens of billions of dollars, spend part of that creating their own content just like Netflix? Well, I mean, I think I think Disney is is certainly the one that's best able to do that, and 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 and. So, I, as a shareholder, would you prefer them do that? Well, I so, mean, if you say we're they're not behind the eight ball, they don't really need these assets. They can build out their own distribution. Can't they build out their own content by putting every penny into? content instead. What I think about Disney and why they deserve their premium multiple is diversified business. There's a massive resorts and, and theme parks and consumer products business that complements a studio. Oh, yeah, and media and cable. So that's why they get the premium and all those businesses do not require them creating new companies. I, I think they, the, the reason why the, the product segment, when you look under Disney, they've, they are too diversified. I think the whole idea behind why Net, Netflix succeeds and beats them in this is that they do one thing. And they do one thing really well. And if Disney tried to do that, that's what Disney did. Disney made all its own content. Disney was the king of content. Nobody battled Disney until now. They're too diversified. The public, the generation now, we don't get and we don't absorb our content the same way we once did. I'll give you the parks, parks, 
Parks is a, is a huge number, and it's a big part of the percentage of their business. I like the parks, but I think it's just too diversified. I, I just, you know, again, I know this isn't a conversation about Netflix, but when I hear us anointing Netflix as the, as the victor, they've been successful and over the top. They've created a streaming service, by the way, well out in front of everybody else. There's going to be even more competition for Netflix from companies who have better Early on, they better are the content. victor. Early on, they have been the victor. You At the very least, they're causing everybody in the space to scramble. Exactly. Every deal, right? I, right. I, but they're not way out in front on content. They're not way out in front in terms of branding. They, Disney controls their destiny more than I think Netflix does. I mean, Disney has a massive platform. I mean, that's what we're yes. talking about, right? I mean, they only have to get one or two of these things right, and they can just drive their earnings so much higher by, by distributing it through their entire platform. That's the power of Disney. So, again, if you want to look at the positive here, if they get it right and they can start to get some market share from Netflix and do the things that we think they should be doing right, then Disney has the potential to be the winner. Quickly, I think you can make an argument that Disney's content over the last six months maybe has never been better. I mean, look at the, the pipeline. Studio. Also, unbelievable. You yeah. love the Panther. So, well, I mean, Wakanda, long live Wakanda. Long live well, the Panther. Guys, but all I the think, time. I think this That's is, what I, you know, they'll say content, content. This is all about distribution, and I think they're so far behind the curve distribution wise, which is why they're going after this Fox deal, which is why they want to be majority owner so in Hulu. Why Comcast traded better multiple? I don't know the I don't know the answer. I don't know the answer. You guys are saying Comcast is down twenty three percent, Disney down five company. Comcast is down twenty three percent, Disney's down five percent, Netflix is up seventy percent. The market, I think has already passed the verdict here. It has already it has already given the verdict on the names. Netflix is the one you buy right now. And quickly, Comcast does trade at a premium. Comcast is almost 12, 11 and a half, 12 times. So you listen, X parks and studios and all that thing, Comcast probably trades the same place Disney trades right now. They're on par. But it, it okay, well, it trades it trades at a significant discount to Disney. And and, and I do think If, if that you back out, I agree. But if you backed out the parks and the other stuff, then I think they, they, they're basically the same company. And, and, but here's a question. Okay. Can you guess what the question is? What would you, you rather, rather? Jinx. Disney or Comcast? Exactly. Comcast. Brian Kelly. I'm not asking you. I, I already answered too late. Uh, I don't want to know. Uh, too I'd late. rather, you know what? Disney. I, I think they just have a bigger potential to turn this around. Tim? <laughs> I, I, what I like about Comcast is I think they already have a footprint that is where, on some level, Disney wants to be. Maybe it's through broadband, maybe it's not through streaming, but um, I think Comcast has an enormous platform. I think this Fox deal would be better for them. That question was standalone. Comcast or Disney plus the oh. Fox assets plus 100% of Sky, would you rather? Disney. Guys? I mean, it's it's a trick a question. Yeah. Why is that a trick question? If this, I think if, this, if, they get, if, they get, <laughs> if they get Fox at the, at, at the price that they're looking at now, if they don't have to bid up, and Let's, I think yeah. the, the, the answer is Disney, yes. Well, we're going to stay all over the Disney earnings Rude. call, including any comments about the potential Fox deal. Jim Stewart of The New York Times will be here to tell us what needs to happen for Disney to save its deal for Fox. Plus, President Trump making a bombshell announcement to pull out of the Iran deal. And the decision could be good news for one group of stocks who got those details. And later, Wall Street is taking a giant leap toward adopting Bitcoin. And Brian Kelly says he has never been more excited about the crypto universe. He will explain why. We're live from Times Square in New York City. Much more Fast Money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. President Trump withdrawing from the Iran nuclear deal earlier today, sending crude prices on a wild ride. Eamon Javers is at the White House with the latest. Eamon. 
Yeah, hi, Melissa. The Treasury Secretary Steven Mnuchin just finished a briefing for reporters at the Treasury a few minutes ago. He said a couple of things explaining the detail behind these sanctions. One is that he said that the licenses for Boeing and Airbus to sell aircraft in Iran uh, will be revoked uh, under these new sanctions. But he also raised the possibility of waivers and exemptions to be given to specific companies and countries going forward. So it's not clear exactly how much impact that's going to have on Boeing and Airbus's business. We'll have to wait and see more detail on that front. Meanwhile, the president today, uh, there was some expectation that he might have some mitigating circumstances, some carve-outs, some time delay here. But in fact, the president chose uh, the most significant sanctions route that he could choose. Here's how he explained it. I am announcing today that the United States will withdraw from the Iran nuclear deal. We will be instituting the highest level of economic sanction. Any nation that helps Iran in its quest for nuclear weapons could also be strongly sanctioned by the United States. America will not be held hostage to nuclear blackmail. So here's some of the reaction from around the world, starting with Iran, which said that the president's decision is illegal, illegitimate, and undermines international agreements. The French president, Emmanuel Macron, said France, Germany, and the U.K. regret the U.S. decision to leave the JCPOA, the nuclear non-proliferation is at stake. And in Israel, Benjamin Netanyahu says Israel thanks Trump for his courageous leadership and commitment to ensure Iran never gets nuclear weapons. Now, what about North Korea? The president said uh, that his secretary of state is on his way to North Korea now uh, to engage in last-minute negotiations over the fate of the North Korean nuclear program. A lot of questions about whether the implication of getting out of the Iran deal has implications for uh, a possible new North Korean deal. The president seemed to be talking talking straight at North Korea when he said this. Today's action sends a critical message. The United States no longer makes empty threats. When I make promises, I keep them. So that could be a signal to the North Korean side there that the president intends to honor any deal that he engages in with North Korea, even as he's tearing up the Iran deal that was negotiated by his predecessor, Barack Obama, Melissa. All right, Eamon, thank you. Eamon Javers joining us from the White House this evening. The market reaction was interesting. We did hit the uh, intraday lows in the S&P 500 shortly after the announcement, but then basically we ended the day flat. As for oil, we uh, ended uh, up, but off the highs that we saw of the day. To me, it feels that it's such a contrived move. We've had the Saudis say that they want $85 oil. We have Saudi Aramco coming down the pike. We know why they want $85 oil. They're trying to transition away from being oil dependent, and they want to move into a different phase of their country's wealth. Then you have Iranians saying that between 60 and 65 is the right level for oil. To me, I think this is all just geopolitical, which we all, we all get. Do you think that Iran is going to do anything to stir up that region in the face of trying to hold everyone at the table, I think it would be counterproductive for them. So I think if there's a geopolitical premium put on this, I think you have to sell it. This is a sell the news event. Look, oil's been going up for uh, nine months and it's 75% off the lows and everybody's been doubting. Bottom line here is the fundamentals in the oil sector look good. Whether you want three, four, five, or seven dollars of, of Iran premium, the bottom line is dislocations are now actually being priced into oil where they were not two years ago. Oil companies, most importantly for the stocks, are being run much more efficiently. Oil services and EP names with good balance sheets or those that are showing capital discipline are ones you stay in and ones that have been great trades for nine months. 
regardless of Iran. I mean, oil prices are 18% off their lows of 2018. So this is a trend, yeah. as you, as you today, point out, that we have seen. This is, this is today, if you, just, if you just take away, if you said, I don't know what the news was happening today, just look at the chart. You had the highest volume since 2016. Massive, massive volume on a reversal. Now, it's a reversal at the high. Obviously, a trader, you want to see the reversal at the low. But to me, this looks like oil wants to break out on purely technical. Does this tell us that the what did we hit most recently? Was seventy two or seventy one? Well, on, on Brandon was about like seventy six. So okay, it was seventy six. I, I, I don't know what. Does, does that tell us that that was the premium, the geopolitical premium that had been priced into oil? No, I don't know. See, Tim what, made the point. We made this point last night. Tim's been saying it for a while. Oil's been going higher for Saudi Aramco. For the, the latest well, is Iran. Well. No. But it's been it's been the trajectory in oil has been the same now for it's, the last year and a half, in my opinion. It's hard it's to deny that. Saudi Aramco. And it's I mean, interesting. The president said something and we talked about it last night. Dan Nathan's concern was, you know, what's going to happen with any North Korea agreement if they see us back? And the president actually addressed that. And we talked about that, mm -hmm. that the president can say the Iran deal was a past administration. I stick to my It's exactly what he said. You look at oil volatility index closed down two bucks today, which in my opinion is bullish. And volatility index for the S&P 500 closed unchanged, which means, in my opinion, markets looking past this. So it's all it seems like the trajectory still is going higher. So ahead, we are all over the Disney conference call. That stock is volatile after hours. It is down by just about four tenths of a percent. Bob Iger, CEO, speaking to investors right now. We're bringing those comments as they break. I'm Melissa Lee. You're watching Fast Money on CNBC, first in business worldwide. In the meantime, here's what else is coming up on Fast. The U.S. dollar is soaring, and it's wreaking havoc on a number of markets. We'll tell you how to profit. Plus, something just happened in Bitcoin that has made BK the most excited he's ever been. And he'll tell you what that is when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. One small step for Wall Street, one giant leap for the crypto universe. The New York Stock Exchange's parent company, ICE, could be the latest financial heavyweight to jump in on the Bitcoin bandwagon. Let's get to Dom Chu in the newsroom for the details. Hey, Dom. Well, Melissa, whether you buy into the viability of cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin or you think that they're rat poison squared like Warren Buffett does, Wall Street sees a potential profit opportunity and it keeps inching along towards the adoption of crypto. The latest is the Intercontinental Exchange, or ICE. This is the New York Stock Exchange parent company. Reports are it's in the process of trying to establish a trading platform for Bitcoin. And again, that's multiple reports citing sources familiar. Now, if it were to happen, it would be the latest big-name traditional Wall Street company to seemingly embrace the future of cryptocurrencies. The instruments being talked about are simple swap agreements. Now, the reason why this could be a big step is it would settle these swap contracts with actual physical Bitcoin, or I guess as physical as a cryptocurrency actually can be. Meaning, at settlement, you or somebody gets the Bitcoin itself. Now, that's different than the futures market on the CME and the CBOE, where trades are ultimately settled for cash. The ICE and NYSE have declined to comment on these stories, but this project, if it exists, is still under wraps, and it does come at a time when a lot of folks out there are wondering about the future of crypto. Melissa, it does come on the heels of Goldman Sachs unveiling its intention to open a crypto trading operation and hiring a head of digital asset trading. So could this be the latest step in the widespread adoption of cryptocurrencies? Perhaps we'll see.
Back over to you guys. All right. Thanks a lot, Dom Chu in the newsroom. Uh, well, all of Wall Street's love for Bitcoin has BK more excited than he has ever been. That's what he says, at least. So he's at the plasma right now to break it all down and what it could ultimately mean for the cryptocurrency beaks. Yeah, pretty much. I actually saw this news. It was very, very excited. I'm actually a little shocked that the market didn't pick up on this. But you notice what Dom said at the end of that uh, uh, segment. He said that you're going to get physical delivery of Bitcoin. Well, that doesn't really sound that interesting, except for the fact it means the ICE has a custody solution. That has been the big hurdle. How do you hold on to these assets? These are generally bearer instruments, just like old bearer bonds. And so you have to have a third party custody person. So that's the big deal. They have got they have come up with a custody solution for institutional holders. So it now means cryptocurrencies look to be becoming an emerging asset class, just like futures did, just like uh, options were, and just like foreign currency were back in the 70s. So then again, that was part of my original thesis when I looked at this five years ago. That's how this was going to evolve. And then finally, what does this do? It opens the door for pensions and endowments. Up to this point, it's been very difficult for them to get comfortable compliance-wise in holding cryptocurrency. If ICE becomes a custodian or has a custodian solution that is SEC qualified, that fits with their compliance, that's going to open the floodgates. This is a big uh, growing market, but it's still relatively small to the other markets. And just a small amount of capital flowing into this could have some big price moves. So let's take a look at Bitcoin, where we are in this. We looked at this last night. We're still in this uptrend here. Okay, 10,000, still a big number here. We had a little sell-off today. I think people just misunderstood this news. They didn't realize how big the custody issue is here. So I think on this news, we start rallying, particularly into blockchain next week, uh, blockchain week here in New York next week. Uh, I, my guess would be that 10,000 is in our sights. Do we know that ICE has a custody solution, or do we think, in other words, do we know that ICE is working on custody itself, or do we think that perhaps ICE has, has designated somebody who has a custody solution, because right now um, the custody solutions lie in, in a handful of very small operators out there, right? Cold storage. Right, so right. We, cold storage. Right, cold the storage. cold storage. And so what we use for my fund is we use uh, Kingdom Trust out of Kentucky. They're an SEC-qualified custodian, but they are a smaller custodian. Uh, it, it, you know, whether ICE actually builds the cold storage and has the custody itself or they've outsourced it, to do it on the level that they're going to do it, that institutional level, means that the quality of that custody and cold storage is really above grade. So I'm less concerned whether or not they've built it in-house or their third party. At the bottom line, that custody solution is here. BK, when you talk about it becoming an asset class, I always believe in a zero-sum game. What asset class expense is it coming out of for Bitcoin to become an asset class? So, so it's a great question, Steve Grasso. A uh, lot of different assets that this could take, but the most obvious one is gold, right? Bitcoin is still, and other cryptocurrencies are still acting as a digital gold, some kind of store of value, and we can argue about that, but that does seem to be the most obvious one. You know, my view over time, we're going to get securities tokens, we're going to get, you know, oil-backed tokens, we're going to get a lot of different things here, so it could steal from different areas, but today, most obvious, gold. All right, thanks for that, Beeks. My pleasure, as always. So ahead, Disney volatile after its earnings report. CEO Bob Iger is on the company conference call right now, talking everything from deals to ESPN. That stock is down by just a half a percent right now. We'll bring you all the comments. Plus, we'll hear from New York Times columnist Jim Stewart about what is really behind this bidding war for Fox. More Fast Money right after this.
Welcome back to Fast Money. Disney's earnings call wrapping up moments ago. The stock has been volatile after hours. Let's head back to Julia Borson at Disney headquarters. Julia. Well, Melissa, when I spoke to Bob Iger before that earnings call, I pressed him a number of times for any guidance on what he's planning to do should Comcast go through with the $60 billion all-cash bid for Fox that we hear is in the works. Now, this would, of course, top Disney's offer. Now, he wouldn't say how much he's willing to spend for Fox, but he did say he's confident that his deal will go through. I'm not going to speculate at all about uh, either what they're doing or you know, why they're doing it. Uh, I can only say and reiterate that, as you know, we made a deal in December uh, that uh, received unanimous approval, which is important, by the 21st Century Fox Board. We're in the process of filing what we need to file to gain both regulatory approval and shareholder approval. Uh, we're certainly excited about that acquisition and remain confident that it's going to go forward. Now, on a number of occasions, both to me and on the earnings call, Iger stressed that the company's direct-to-consumer apps, there are two of them, the ESPN one that just launched and the Disney one that's in the works, are in no way reliant on the Fox acquisition. But he did mention that there's some opportunity for them to leverage Fox's assets. On the sports front, the regional sports networks. And then on the Disney front, we think there's some great opportunities for Nat Geo and some of the other Fox properties to be part of the Disney family direct-to-consumer proposition. But that largely is going to be anchored by Disney, Marvel, Pixar, and Star Wars, so not dependent at all on the assets that we're buying from Fox. As we listen to Iger's commitment to buying Fox and we hear about Comcast's bid that's in the works, it's worth noting that this wouldn't be the first time that Comcast and Disney have been caught up in M&A talk. But it was a while ago, back in 2004, Comcast made a $54 billion bid for Disney. It then, of course, pulled that offer when it became clear that the offer was too low. Melissa, back over to you. All right. Thank you very much. Julia Borston. Who here is confident that uh, Disney's deal, Disney's bid, will go through as confident as Mr. Iger is without I'm, giving us any I'm not details? Listen, you, but think about what they've bid Fox up to. Fox is now trading at 17, 17 times next year's earnings. That's mm -hmm. basically twice the valuation of some of their competitors. What does Fox have that nobody else seems to have? And I'll say it again. I think it's scale. the Hulu thing. It's scale. Hulu. So will Disney yeah. overpay? Maybe they will. But, I, I, and, you know, you have to ask yourself, why are they so hell-bent on getting this asset. That's why. Our next guest is no stranger to Comcast's bitter battle to buy Disney all those years ago. Jim Stewart is a columnist for The New York Times, author of Disney War. So how do you see, Jim, this deal shaking out? Who needs the Fox assets plus Sky more? Well, um, they both really want it. That's obviously clear now. Um, Comcast already apparently bid about $60 billion, which is significantly higher, and it was turned down on the grounds that there were antitrust concerns. But those antitrust concerns may go away any day if the, justice, if the judge approves the Time Warner AT&T deal. So that is a huge wild card here. If they lose the bid, then nothing really changes. The Disney deal will go through. But most people, I think, now think Time Warner AT&T will prevail in this case. And if they do, then all bets are off and we've got a bidding war going on here. Now, scale is important for two reasons. It, it's, it gives you the critical mass to go direct to consumers, which is Disney is trying to do, to go up against Netflix and Amazon there. But the more users you have, the more data you have. And this new tech-driven media world 
It's all about user data. The more data you have, the more you can craft advertising, the more you can recommend programs to people, the smarter you are as a company. And that is a huge issue. That's the main argument for AT&T and Time Warner coming together. But it applies to Disney. It applies to Fox. Um, so let's say the AT&T Time Warner deal goes through as, as it is expected, and the Murdochs have to choose between these two offers as they are right now. You don't think that Disney's going to stand still on this, is is what you're saying? No, I mean, look, they, because they it's hard have to a turn deal down a deal that is that is an all cash deal that is ten billion dollars more than the current deal you have in hand. Well, the Murdochs, I'm sure, are going to be thrilled. I mean, there's a bidding war here that breaks out, and you know, if I'm them, what's to lose here? You just get a, you get a better price. Now, it's true, Iger's right. There's a deal in place. But we all know that until a deal closes, a deal can be broken for a price, and it looks like Comcast may be willing to pay, pay that. Now, there's also not a whole lot of downside for Comcast. Either they get the assets, maybe at what they were willing to pay for it anyway, or they force Disney to substantially up the ante, and that hurts one of their major competitors. I mean, the rivalry there, it goes all the way back to the hostile takeover bid in 2004. But the thing about Disney and Comcast, they both compete directly on the Comcast side, but then Disney also distributes through Comcast cable networks. So they are, they are like doubly antagonistic here. So the personalities are playing a role here in this bidding war. Well, they always do. Think? They always do. But these companies are particularly in the vortex of everything that's happening right now. In Is there bad, any bad blood between the Murdochs or Rupert specifically and either Brian Roberts or... Not Bob Iger. I mean, they've got a deal to go ahead. But, I mean, is there anything personality-wise that would make you think that they're not willing or they're not um, apt to take the Comcast deal? No, I don't think so. I mean, look, Murdoch, Murdoch at the bottom line is he's a deal maker. He's not going to turn his back on $10 billion here or something like that. I mean... Again, I think there's nothing but good news for him in this situation. We're thinking about scale, and we're thinking about scale in the context of these media players. But if you go back in time, all of these media players really underestimated one big elephant in the room today, and that would be Netflix. I mean, remember back in 2010, Time Warner CEO Jeff Bukas, take a look at this. He said this to the New York Times. Is the Albanian army going to take over the world? I don't think so. Well, Is there an Albanian army today, Jim, that you think people aren't looking at? They're so busy looking to acquire content in the distribution platform, they're not seeing what is coming down the pike? Well, possibly. I mean, I think it's very interesting that, that Netflix, who could, that back then could call an Albanian, and Amazon, too, they didn't go out and buy Fox or Paramount or somebody like right. that. They have created these media companies from scratch, which, by the way, is what antitrust regulators love that, is creating organic competition. I mean, it's one of the great stories of the year that they went out there and hired the people and bought the stuff and started up essentially their own studios. It's a really remarkable achievement. You know, some people are saying, well, why didn't AT&T just do that? Um, well, I don't want to get into that. But um, there, I mean, there are reasons. So, yes, it's possible that there are people out right now. The barriers to entry for content creation do look very low, given what we've seen from Amazon and Netflix. I think the question is, are they now so far ahead in the over-the-top with the large user database? And, by the way, as I said, the bigger the database gets, the more efficient their ability to target viewers and advertisers is. That's why Google became sort of a natural monopoly. I mean, the more searchers you had, the better the searches became. 
the more users you have at Netflix, the better their programming is to better able to appeal to what you want to see. We're in a new world here, and there so, may be some natural monopolies. So M&A is the only way. I mean, if Comcast spent $60 billion in cash, they couldn't raise their own Albanian army <laughs> to add to what they have already? Well, I know. That, I mean, some people have said, you know, Netflix is spending $8 billion a year. That's a lot less than AT&T is paying for, you know, Time Warner. So why don't they just spend $8 billion a year? But, you know, we're sort of in the media business, and I think of all businesses, that's, you can't just throw money at the problem. It takes, it takes discernment. It takes judgment. It takes taste. It takes some, you know, maybe unquantifiable gene that helps you figure out. It is, it is risky. The entertainment business has been notoriously fickle, and, and, and historically it's the talent that walks away with the profits. Uh, but we're in new, new territory here, which is right. really fascinating to watch. It's amazing, though, that two Albanian armies effectively <laughs> have been built in the past eight years. Well, and, and, the, and then there's, and don't forget, Amazon. YouTube and right. Facebook is getting into some of this stuff. So, right. yeah, you know, there may be more of these armies on the march. Jim, thank you. <laughs> Great metaphor. New York Times. <laughs> Did I miss? I mean, what? when Albania get? I mean, I clearly Jeff missed. Jeff Bukas. No, I saw the whole Bukas called. thing. Yeah, but these are the G7 countries. Oh, they're not, they're not Albanian no, anymore, guys. What we're talking so about is that one. So, I mean, but you up. get the drift yeah, of it. it. You're a smart guy. I have tried to get in there. You got in there. I get the drift. Okay. Question. What do we, yes. What do we think about? Com Jim Cramer this morning pointed out very aptly, as he always does, this is a lot of leverage to the balance sheet. Yeah. If they go through with a $60 billion all-cash deal. I, you want my opinion? I'll give yeah. you my opinion. I think Comcast is bidding up the price to make Disney flinch. I think Disney will flinch. I think it'll be a mistake by Disney. He but then you have flinch. to ask yourself, why does Disney have to make that mistake? And it's because they're behind the eight ball from Netflix for the last five years, in my opinion. <laughs> Who is more behind the eight ball, Comcast or Disney? Um, I think... Yeah, I was going to say, I, mean, I think. Thank you, thank you, James. Would you Disney. Um, no, I, I think Comcast has all of the foundation in place to compete in every level. Do they have as much content as Disney? You know, it depends what you like. Um, I will say, James brought up a great point, which is that the new era of software and algos means that that is what's helping these guys win the war. And that's the difference. They're competing almost knowing the answers to what's going to be successful. That's important. All right, still ahead. King Dollar's reign is inflicting a world of pain on one group of stocks. I'll tell you what they are and how much worse it could get. Plus, Electronic Arts rallying after its earnings report. The stock is up more than 18% this year. We will tell you what is investors piling into this name. Much more Fast Money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. King Dollar is back, hitting its highest level this year, and that's sending shockwaves around the world. Our Seema Modi is live at the New York Stock Exchange with the latest. Hi, Seema. Hey, Melissa, that's right. Emerging markets are now in correction territory, trading 11% off their recent high. And as you just mentioned, that's primarily driven by the stronger dollar, which makes emerging market debt more expensive. The size and the speed of the dollar rebound has caught some emerging markets by surprise. Case in point, Argentina, which had to hike its benchmark rate to 40 percent to defend its plummeting currency. The country today requesting financial aid from the IMF to curb future volatility as the peso hit yet another record low today. Other EM currencies under pressure include the Brazilian real, Mexican peso and Turkish lira lower by 5 percent or more just in the past month. Experts say further weakness will push 
central bankers around the world to take bold action to stem outflows. Now, outside of currencies, rising oil prices has also increased costs for net oil importers like India, Japan and South Korea, which has caused inflation to accelerate, putting some more economic stress on these emerging markets. Melissa, back to you. All right. Thank you so much, Seema Modi. Uh, is there an emerging market specialist in the house? I hope so. Oh, oh right. Tim. <laughs> Look, Seema's done a nice job reporting about this story all day because emerging markets have really underperformed. I'd say this, you know, the dollar's up 5.8% from the lows it hit on February 16th. Since that time, emerging markets are off about 6%, and we've talked about the underperformance of the S&P. Um, but the dollar's only going back to December levels here, folks. Do you think the dollar's going back to 100? So if anything, I actually think that the dollar, which is now more overbought on a relative strength indicator, do with that what you want, since March of 2015 when it went up to 103. Um, what's been working during this time of a strong dollar, even in emerging, is China. FXI is down 2 percent. Um, Alibaba is up 10 percent. And then also the oil companies whose local currencies in Brazil get devalued, but their dollar, their dollar revenue generators, uh, uh, Petrobras is up 10 percent during this time. So. EM countries are not as levered to the dollar as they used to be, and I think you need to be careful about making this broad-based statement. Should we be concerned about emerging market debt? And I ask this yes. because so many bond funds have gone out to emerging markets because the yields were much, much higher, right. and the J.P. Morgan Emerging Market Bond Index is the lowest level in, in about a year right so now. In, so we have, according to the IMF, about $9 trillion of U.S. dollar-denominated debt globally. So every time the dollar goes up, that debt gets more expensive. It's the largest number we've had in history. So people talk about deleveraging. It didn't happen. Deleveraging just went out to different areas. So we have more debt than we've ever had. Debt to GDP globally is, is bigger than it's ever had. And I'm not saying the dollar is going to 100 tomorrow. But if you're looking at what's happened with emerging market currencies, Hong Kong dollar might be next. The U.S. dollar, a strong and much stronger U.S. dollar, can act as a global wrecking ball. Still ahead. It is the one sinking tech stock that traders say could soar a whopping 15% when it reports earnings this week. We'll tell you what has them so bullish. We're live at the Nasdaq market side in New York City's Times Square. Much more Fast Money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Electronic Arts out with earnings after the belt today. And the stock is moving higher in the after-hour session. Let's get to Deidre Bosa in San Francisco with the latest from that conference call. Deidre. Hey, Melissa. Well, one analyst on the call noting EA's strong quarter, it came despite the backdrop of the Fortnite phenomenon. This is, of course, the huge hit from Epic Games that many analysts feared might hurt EA's engagement. CEO Andrew Wilson crediting the quarter with new ways that users are consuming games and the new ways that EA is reaching users like its push into esports events this quarter. Have a listen. New forms of content, new consumption models, and advanced technology investments are accelerating how we will reach more players in a networked world and satisfy their unique needs. Whether you're a player or a viewer, our competitive gaming experiences for games like FIFA, Madden NFL, and more are becoming must-see programming for fans around the world. Now, Melissa, to be honest, we were waiting to hear a little bit more on its esports event strategy and impact from Fortnite, but a lot of the questions so far focusing on the doubling of its buyback program and specific titles. Back over to you. All right, Deidre, thank you. Deidre Bosa in San Francisco. Uh, esports, we cover that a lot here. Huge trend. Do you like EA? EA is the leader in the group right now. So you have EA, you have Take-Two, and you have Activision. And EA is up about 20%, I guess, with, the, with that after-hours uh, market move. And it was based on, for me, a lot of it was the corporate repurchase, the buyback. 
But I like Activision on a catch-up trade. It's up 10% year-to-date. I think Take-Two, there's a reason why it's lower. That's basically flat year-to-date. But I would play, instead of buying EA at these levels, I would buy Activision Blizzard at these levels. Real quick, I think there's still room in EA. J.P. Morgan just initiated, I think, on May 1st, $150 price target. People will knock this on valuation. I think it's wrong. I think there's still a lot of room in this stock. And I would disagree on take two, but I'm going to save that for oh, later in the show. Oh, that's a tease. Yeah. You know, we, that's Deirdre a tease. was mentioning the popularity of Fortnite, and we were talking about esports and how big that is in terms of eyeballs, and it could actually be like a real sport, right? Remember back in the days when Disney uh, was reportedly making a bid for EA? Right. So despite... Yeah. How, right. how right. Would that kind of deal be interesting today? I'd rather see Disney make that deal. Mm. Really? That's, yeah, because that's the new distribution platform, right? Rather than going to this old tech, why not go to the new tech? Tim talked about it earlier. The idea that software is kind of eating everybody's lunch out there. Why wouldn't you want to do this? You want, where's the growth area? Look at these e, look at these esports games, and they they filled Madison Square Garden again. Tim, the expert in this, apparently, he was there early. They filled the arena. They asked, the me, to, they asked me to play. Like, yeah. well, I, I am now the chief esports correspondent with guys right behind me. Look, margins on these things are going higher, not lower right now. Global reach is going higher. I like the valuation, even though it's too high. Guy can't hold a job that makes now, sense. though. I can't. Well, that's a problem. I mean, really. Uh, from video games to video streaming, Roku set to report earnings after the bell tomorrow. The options market applying some pretty big moves on the results. Get, let's get the Mike in Austin to break it down. Hi, Mike. Hi there. Yeah, so with Roku, which saw above average options volume today, we saw calls outpacing puts by more than two to one. And the options market's implying a move of 15%, so pretty big up or down after earnings. And where we saw the most activity was the May 37 calls. Those were trading for about a dollar. So those are bets that options traders are making that this stock is going to be above $38 after earnings. All right. Thanks for that, Mike. For more options action, check out the full show. That's Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. Up next, we got the final trade. Stay tuned. Best multiple in the media space, Viacom. Get there. Brian Kelly. So if you think oil's going higher like I do, you want to go way out on the risk curve, Transocean RIG, you buy that one. Steve Grasso. Tesla, we talked about it last week. I bought it on the weakness. It's traded above 300. I'm still long it. Doesn't mean that you can't lock in profits. Guy Adani. You know, there are a lot of TV shows out there. There's so but many. Very Multiple. few can surround the Walt Disney Company. I mean, just sur surround the trade. Yeah. Yeah. Did tonight. Surround you trade. feel good about that? I, I do. Yeah. I think we gave the folks at home a lot to talk about in the Walt there Disney There is a company. lot to talk about it's, in the realm of Disney. There's also a final Comcast. trade somewhere coming from Swizzle, and that would be Take Two Interactive. Ooh, Ooh, yeah. Yeah. Did you forget the trade? No, I didn't forget anything. Right, I'm just checking. I think, just checking. I, I I'm Melissa Lee. Thanks so much for watching. See you back here tomorrow at 5 more Fast Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today.